0: hello and welcome to hit chat Chit Chat. my name is connor ronald on today's podcast we are actually going to be going over this is just going to talk about hitting how much can go forward i absolutely love the swing being compared to a cattle scapular muscle and what i'm going to look to try and do throughout the entire swing is build that tension if you are a coach that is unwilling to ask why and the how of how to do something, and you are doing a disservice to your players my goal is to try and make every single kid a king griffey Schrader is here the reason i like the cricket bat is it's flat thank you for the sub my guy i really appreciate it what else do we got for the folks there we go we should be live
1: so the, the devices that were out there weren't capable of capturing the metrics that I needed in order to coordinate swings. And so I created a, a knob device that would capture those things. It was, it was based um, all of the knob device devices that are out there are all golf technology that has now moved into baseball. And the problem with golf technology is that that technology has no concern for actual time. Right? they don't care how long it takes you to swing the golf club because it, it doesn't have to work within a time window right there's the, the golf ball sitting on a tee. I can attack it anytime I want to I can take as long as I want to delay here but baseball was very different and the way I always perceived baseball was uh, it, it, it's a sprint sport we we don't you know it's an interception sport and therefore we have a three foot sprint right from start to finish line it's it's about a three foot swing. And we don't get to swing when we want to, we swing when we have to. And the ball tells us when we have to. And so that in and of itself is a cue, all right? The ball in a particular place in space is a cue that says go. If I'm right, then I hit it. And if I'm wrong, I don't hit it. And then I make an adjustment off of those. And so I did a lot of studying on brains tons on eyes and brains and how we function and how we uh, absorb memory, where we store particular types of memories, um, how we encode memory and things like that. Um, well, once I created the, the knob device that could capture your reaction time and your swing time, I could I could now couple that with my second system, which would capture the pitch, run an algorithm that said It's it's what we learned, you know, in grade school when we did word problems. There's a car traveling east at 65 miles an hour. There's a car traveling west at 45 miles an hour. At what point will they meet? That's what hitting is. It's a mathematical equation. We determine what the contact point is, which say that pitch appears to be over the middle of the plate. The middle of the plate pitch is met with my swing at right in front of my foot. Right, right at my little toe. And so now I make the measurement from release to that and it takes this ball traveling 90 miles an hour, whatever time it takes to get to this point here. This hitter here, his swing is overall uh, 150 millisecond swing with a one, uh, with a 200 millisecond delay, 350 millisecond total swing time. Um, he has to decide to swing when the ball is 43 feet away. So I send a message to that hitter, that alert that says, swing now, their brain processes that message, it has the reaction time to that message, which is equivalent to the reaction time of seeing the ball and saying go. Um, and they swing and the ball meets their bat. So I went out and proved this, I, I, I built the system a, a Frankenstein version of, you know, all kinds of bizarre looking things to get the job done, because I didn't, you know, it takes an incredible amount of money to build these things. So, <clears throat> Filed for several patents, received my patents, and I have four more in in, in the works right now. Um, I tested this system out on college players. I proved this system out. If you know a hitter that can, because I think you've seen my videos, if you know a hitter that can step into a cage with the machine throwing at 90 to 92 miles an hour, 92 and a half actually, um, because the speed of the ball vacillates because of the the electrical cord sends pulses of energy differently to the machine. And then the balls have a little bit different weight sometimes. And so you you won't get a consistent 90 mile an hour pitch. You'll get a 90 or an 89 or a 91 and things like that. And so I was capturing these pitches at 90 to 92 and a half miles an hour. I had a hitter in there or several hitters that did this. Um, one that I put up on my video that he received eight pitches in a row. He hit a perfect same shot on a middle end pitch. Eight times in a row if you know a guy big league guy or or other that can step into a cage without any assistance and go and hit the exact same thing eight times in a row i i i want to see it um because because i've never met a guy that can do that now what my system did was proved exactly that i had the hitter hitting the ball it was exactly the same One of the interesting things that you learn not only by working on timing is that you can actually prove out your hitting philosophies because you'll say, okay, this guy didn't lift, have a loopy swing, he didn't drop, but yet he was getting optimal launch angle every time by swinging down and making contact while his bat was on its up portion of its arc. And so we got optimal launch angle without having to disrupt or create a higher margin of error swing path, right? So so not only is, is this effective in in helping a hitter learn their timing, but it also helps with being able to look at your mechanics and say, how effective are they when timing is perfect? What happens with their, with the ball? What is the reaction of the ball? So I dragged in a 12 year old kid who was in a cage next to me and I said, Hey, you want to try this? You ever hit a 90 mile hour pitch before? And he said, no. And I asked his coach, he said, what's the fastest you guys have seen? And he said 65. And I said, okay, how would you like to hit a 90? And he said, sure. And I captured a swing and got the time, put him in the machine, bang, 90, 90, 90. How do you hit 90 or 100 um, as a player? You have to have seen it because we have no reference, as we talked about earlier. And so if I have no reference point, then I'm just swinging at at my familiar time. Like if I've I've only seen 90 miles an hour and I see 100, you're not going to hit it. It's going to take you several swings to hit it and what i'm doing is eliminating the failure aspect which our brain does not encode we don't we don't hold on to failure memory because there's there's they're useless we don't have the bandwidth for all of this so we throw out the failures and then what we do is we remember the successes and we reference those successes and so now when i see a situation where the ball looks similar and it's increasing in size it's dilating or moving um towards me at a familiar rate then i resource a memory very quickly that says i remember when i swung at that pitch and so that's when i'm going to swing now and so that's how we we develop as hitters and our timing um the problem i have with getting people to understand this is twofold one is most coaches yourself probably included didn't believe you could actually train timing we can train mechanics all day we have control over that but timing that's really innate that's, that's left to the hitter. And while I believe it very much is innate, the guys who are great at it, it can be trained and it can be accelerated for those who don't have that innate gift of being able to coordinate their movements with the moving object. So that's the first problem is the, the paradigm that suggests that, well, that's just the talent that does that. Um, the second part that has that been difficult is people go, well, yeah, but you don't hear a sound in a game, so therefore... Well, the hitter is interacting with this, and this is a very common teaching method um, uh, in psychology, which is to introduce a signal. It's called behavioral learning. You introduce a signal and develop a habit, then remove the signal, and that habit remains. And so that's what I do with my system is I don't say, you know, the only way you're gonna be able to hit a 95-mile-an-hour pitch is to have this tone sent to you all the time. I test with and without and what um, what happens is is that we more quickly accelerate because they, again the hitter is interacting it's not like the tones there and the hitters not doing anything he's also processing this whole thing so they are correlating the distance that they're attacking with that tone and then you remove that alert that signal whatever it is um, and then that behavior pattern remains and so you can accelerate their their progress um, and, and People don't understand that, and, and it's because you know they don't they don't do a lot of study on these things. They just completely write things off because they look at at the anomalous behavior that I've never heard a tone tell me when to swing before. Therefore, it won't work. I say, well, that's not true. So unfortunately, I've been able to test my systems, and again, you know, I build them, take them apart, build another one, build it, you know, just so they're 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 a bit sturdier and things like that. Um, once I got through my testing, I really believed I was going to get some investment because i know this market very well having been in it for so long and so i know what the what the economy of this market is and what people will pay i know what people paid me right for the very same problem that i'm trying to solve with my system i know what people paid me the desperation of a parent that says my kid can't hit and and it breaks my heart that my kid can't hit so i'm happy to pay you to help my kid hit and i'm saying i've got something that transcends mechanics because once you have great mechanics it doesn't matter if you can't time a pitch down, you'll just look good striking out, right? And so I never ended up getting financing on it. Um, I got rejected from Major League Baseball teams. I had one that wanted, that wanted an exclusive on it. And the dollar figure was pretty good. But, you know, I, I'm not really that motivated by money to where I would say, yeah, I'd happily give this to one team so that nobody else could have it because the reason I built this was for the parent and the kid or or any other minor league player or anybody else. I didn't I didn't want it exclusive to a team. I wanted I want to help people because that's what my career has been about. So, that's that's sort of the 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 long but short version of the X-Factor.
0: I love it. And what are you? Are there any facilities outside of uh, the guys that you're training at the moment? Are there any other? You said that you've done a lot of test rebuild, test rebuilds. Uh, any spots that have uh, the X Factor outside of you?
1: No, you know. Right now, I'm I'm in a rewriting of some things. Remember, I told you they're Frankenstein's. They're, you know, like the knob device looked like the magazine of a semi-automatic weapon. It wasn't, you know, because it costs a lot of money to get things miniaturized. Um, so once I didn't get financing, I kind of had to work out a way to get it to, to do it in-house, to actually fund the whole thing ourselves, which is pretty expensive and pretty time-consuming. Patents alone were, you know, like 100 grand a piece. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievably expensive process. If anybody has an idea out there that they want to get patented, you better better really think you can make money off of it because it's going to cost you a fortune to get it built, to get your patent uh, approved, um, just through attorney fees and things like that. But um, no, it will probably. I've gotten to the point where I've I've decided I'm not going to to try to convince people too much anymore. I'm just going to do it myself. So I'm currently restructuring some of the you know so so I have something that I don't have to rebuild every week. Um, I'm, going, I'm building a system now. I've, I've tightened up a lot of my coding and things like that, and I have an, an engineer working on some of the communication issues between the knob device and the software. And I'm just going to do it myself. I have a couple players. I have a guy that is um, uh, at Rookie Ball right now that uh, I'm going to be working with. I had another guy who is a college player, a D1 guy that I'm going to be working with, with this. And then um, I don't know if you've, you're familiar with her, Lily Martineau. Um, she is a fantastic girl, um, the hardest worker, the incredible aptitude I'm going to test or not test, but actually perform, um, training on, on those three with this system. Eventually I will have a retail version of this. You know, once people understand, because I'm going to have metrics, I'm going to have data to prove how quickly memory starts to, to be produced. And you will be seeing this result without the X factor the x factor is going to be there to train them but then you're going to see the the increase in their hit their timing ability and their performance subsequent to the use of this and so i'll have all this data in my database um, and i'll be able to prove that out so the idea is going to be i'm going to have two separate systems one of which would be a retail model which would work for anybody who is high school and below which would work at it's going to be governed at 90 miles an hour, 90, 90 and down, you can go into a batting cage and out of the box now have perfect timing. I I capture my swing. I can hit off the machine and I have perfect timing. The second version that I have would be mine solely. And that would be for working with professional players and college players and things like that, which would work up to any speed. Um, human capacity limits us to 106 miles an hour. Um, anything beyond 106 miles an hour, we aren't physically capable of swinging in time to hit something that fast. Which will explain to you why a guy, when he's at his best, um, Chapman, um, can't be hit. You know, if, if you're throwing 100 above 106 miles an hour, then you absolutely there's not enough time in the event for your swing and that ball to meet. It just won't happen. Um, fortunately, there aren't a lot of guys that throw 107 miles an hour, so. <laughs> um, you, you can work it, you know, my system will be working with hitters that can, you know, face up, you know, 100 plus um, regularly. And I would be able to coordinate that and develop their memory <clears throat> for those types of pitches. And so that will be exclusive to me. I won't give that to a major league baseball team. I won't even offer it to one. Um, they can buy the retail version, which is up to 90, and they won't want it. Um, but I don't. I, I, I have had such a bad experience with professional baseball that I don't want to help them in the slightest bit. And I'm happy to say that right here, you can you can mark my words on that. I don't help them at all. They won't. They'll never have it. And I I don't care how much they offer me.
0: Well, if you ever get into the spot where uh, you want to possibly have a little small facility here in Denver, Colorado, uh, test it out. Timing is one of the biggest things that. I've been working with, and it's one of the biggest things that amateur hitters don't put any particular training or any thought into. Um, I just started working and uh, being the high school hitting coach at uh, local alma mater high school here, and just sitting and asking and talking with guys like, were you late or early right there? And I actually had a freshman pull a ball that almost hit himself in the ankle I asked him, were you late or early right there? And he said he was late. I said, and just, I go, what do you mean? Explain to me. And then he started saying it out loud and walking through the the process of his swing. He's just going, wait, I was early. It's like, yeah.
1: No, it is possible that he was late to hit it in your foot uh, on a pull side if he hit it off his handle. And instead of taking a swing, he turned. Because as soon as you turn, like teacher man will tell you, your barrel enters into the zone. And so you prematurely enter into the zone so you could get the ball way back here and turn and be late because it hit off of your handle and shoot it into your foot. So it is possible, probably not in the situation you're talking about, but I just wanted to add that co- caveat that it is possible to be late and pull the ball at the same time. And you, you'd have to do something mechanically to affect that.
0: Yes, and just... The biggest thing that I've been working with guys is just asking, when do you start your stride? When do you start your load? How long is your load? If you have a, if you can get to your load where you feel you can swing quickly and it doesn't take too much time, then we can, we don't need as much time of us kind of moving around and getting that stride. And just asking them little simple questions like that. When do you start your stride? When were you late? Right. Were you early? They're just struggling to answer those questions. And it's just something that I don't think many people are asking or bringing to light. And for you to have something, like I said, if you ever want to try and uh, test something out here in Denver, Colorado, man, I would absolutely love to. Uh, we'll, we'll, to
1: have a, we'll have a discussion on that. Um, first, I will say that's a great point that you just made. Um There are three aspects to timing. You ask people about timing and they'll tell you, oh, when you swing at the pitch. And I go, "Uh, no. Okay, there are three aspects of timing. One is, at what pitch cue do I initiate getting into a launch position? That's timing one. Timing two is my subconscious awareness of how long my swing takes to get from point A to point B. I gain that through lots and lots and lots of repetition of swings. And so I don't know in measures of a time, I can't tell you how long it was, but somehow I intuitively know how long it takes me to get from here to here because I've taken so many of them. So that's timing two. Timing three is when do I swing based on all those things. In order for me to perform steps two and three, I first have to get into position to hit because it doesn't matter. I see this all the time in big leagues particularly because people are so obsessed with delaying their strides now and trying to sync it with the uh, with the uh, their swings that if you got down late it doesn't matter you're done you didn't get into position to hit soon enough so everything else doesn't matter any longer and so getting into the position early enough to where now I can process the ball now I can swing and my swing can catch up to that pitch I have to first get into to stage one of, of timing which is when do I prep so that's a great point. The other thing um, just to, to digress off of that to something you just also said is the engineer that I've hired to work on um, on a lot of the X Factor stuff for me is in Denver, Colorado, so I will be in, I will be in Denver very soon and you and I will connect when I get to Denver. Um, because I have to go out there and and, and start seeing you know, physically what his progress is. I get all kinds of reports. Um, you know, he sends me videos every day of, of what he's working on and, and how that is progressing. And I troubleshoot with him and help him, you know, overcome some of the the roadblocks that he might come come up against. But um, I need to see the physical product pretty soon, and so I will be in Denver, and you and I will talk when I get there.
0: Oh, I'm super excited now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, for me anything else that you are uh in your training in your x factor is there anything else that you kind of are seeing or feeling that is kind of missing in amateur and professional baseball in the sense of uh just the idea of the perspective of how important timing is uh is there anything that you're kind of seeing whether it be some coaches that uh, like the X pro guys, their perspective is just what they've seen, what they've done, they kind of struggle. Is there anything in the game right now that you would like to kind of see adjust for the better uh, of player development?
1: Sure. I'd love to see us go back to <clears throat> shorter strides. Um, high leg kicks and guys who are successful with it. I also see them failing with it, but because they are so incredible incredibly elite, that they get away with things that make your job much more difficult. So we talk about getting into position at the the right time, Um, what you you brought up about, you know, when you stride and get into a launch position. Um, We have this misconception that large moves produces more power. They don't. Um, We have this misconception that we have to have Perpetual motion in order to have energy to then convert into swing energy, right? There's something that they discount called uh, Potential energy stored energy If you watch a track athlete who has to be the fastest sprinter in the world to come out of the blocks He gets into a everything about sprinting be it um, uh, speed skating be it swimming be it uh, You know the the 90 meter dash um Everything about it is exactly the same as hitting. There is a on-your-mark cue, which is my hitter standing in the box waiting while the pitcher is picking up signs. <sighs> Getting loose and relaxed. Get set is the pitcher going through his windup, and that's your cue to get into your launch. There's my get set. Well, that's the sprinter now dropping into their launch position. Be it a speed skater, be it a, a runner. And then there's so no. for them it's the alarm, it's the gun, it's the bell, it's the whistle. For us, it's the ball in space. So there's your similarity between sprint sports and hitting. When you look at sprinters, when you look at Usain Bolt, you don't see a guy bouncing around in the blocks. First of all, that motion of bouncing would be disruptive because he doesn't control the timing of the event. So there's no knowing where he would be within that bounce when the gun sounded. So that's that's one. Two is it doesn't matter because all we're trying to do is get into a, you know, a a, 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 gather position. Basically, we create some muscle tension that we can work forward off of, so we don't have to go back to forward. So you don't see the the track runner then drop when this when the gun sounds and then go forward. You see the sprinter jump forward as soon as he hears that sound. So we don't need movement in order to convert into another movement. We actually can be pretty steady. Um, The problem with being pretty steady is you have to calm your mind. And, And it's the same thing that happens with with sprint athletes that is starting to transfer into other sports like football and baseball where meditation comes in. But if you are hyper in your mind, you're going to false start. Right. So what you need to do is be in a physical position to where you can unravel whenever you want to, but at the same time, be mentally completely relaxed so that you can react without anticipation so that's that's a big big key to timing and things like that 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 i don't see happening today that i see the antithesis of that that guys that have long moves are being successful therefore that must be the key well we spent a few decades talking guys out of high leg kicks for the reasons that i just brought up But suddenly a new generation came along and they had high leg kicks. And so everybody said, see, 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 that's what we were missing. We needed the high leg kick. Um, Same thing happened when Joe Maurer won a batting title and Joe Maurer was regarded as the best hitter in baseball. I was in the the tunnels with Joe waiting for one of my players to come out to work with him pregame in Minnesota. And Joe had just gotten off the DL. And he sets up super quiet load, and I was thinking, wow, really impressive, very quiet, short short stride maneuver, quiet load, nothing's jumpy, and then he goes, wham, wrapped his bat, and then wham, smoked the ball, and I said, wow, he wraps his bat, how interesting, and I said, well, I wouldn't teach that, but I wouldn't fix it. He, he's an amazing hitter with his little swing flaw that we talked about way earlier, so then this symposium of the top baseball hitting minds, um, big league guys get together and they all look at this and say, that's the key. Nobody's rapping, Joe Maurer's rapping. We gotta rap, it creates whip. And I challenge anybody to explain to me the physics behind how is it that redirecting an object of weight pointing this direction where its mass wants to drop down here, how does it create whip if you're pulling it back around to go over here? You're creating drag not whip and so simply because joe mauer did it and did it well and had whippy hands i don't care what he, what you did um doesn't mean that that little thing that he did was the key to it and unfortunately major league baseball is constantly in search of the anomalous behavior that must be the gold at the end of the rainbow
0: it's that confirmation bias that it's really easy when you're looking for something and exactly. you see it and it's like oh well that's the only reason to talk a little bit about Ken, i'm so happy that you came on man i'm so glad because just this small conversation um one of my biggest things that i talk about when i'm working with with my guys is you have uh, a rubber band um and we want to pull that back and we can get a nice snap uh then you have the little braces rubber bands if you know what i'm talking about the little yeah, tiny sure, guys sure. Now for the little tiny guy, I don't have the ability to pull as far back, but when I do pull just a little bit, I get to the same uh, percentage of what I'm looking for. I pull that thing back just a little bit, I'm at full tension, I'm at full, if I was to let that go, that thing is zinging, and it didn't take a big move because it's an efficient move. But when I have this bigger rubber band, I have to use more space, use more time, Use a bigger move, more energy to get that same type of uh, tension yeah. that I just yeah. had, but it requires more space. It requires more time. Now, if we could take right. uh, Happy Gilmore or whatever and put him in a box without uh, any variables, without any pitch selection, without any anything like that, if it was just a T, that would be incredible because now we have full moment. But you can't do that. You don't right. have that time. We're, you we're, don't have that space. We're, to We're, allow we're for
1: increasing. Time. We're increasing the the linear um, velocity of our swings by having that type of motion. Um, It would actually, here's the interesting part, unless you came to a very good abrupt stop, then you would reduce your angular momentum because you would be moving forward with an object that was moving forward and turning. And so that would be the equivalent of taking a string with a weight on the end of it. And if I moved around with it, it flops. But if I stay steady behind it, And so that that's that's how we create centripetal movement is to resist opposite equal to an object turning um so yeah one one thing though your rubber band analogy is great because it's a terrific visual of of saying creating a stretch but one thing um and and this is a thing that teacher man talks a lot about that is absolutely false is that you know he he talks about coiling around your hip and making this turn so that you create this torsion spring. Um, if you turn your head all the way to the right for me right now, all the way, all the way, go, go, go. Now, does it snap back once you relax? No. It does not. No, it doesn't. We don't work in springs. So that rubber band, while if I release the rubber band, it's going to snap forward. We don't work that way. We are actually removing slack and creating a slight amount of, of muscle tension so that we can move forward when we when we use the assistance of other muscles so we actually have to use a muscle assistance in order to go forward we don't actually coil and spring it just doesn't work there's there's nothing in our body that works that way and so it actually takes uh, 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 the the rubber band idea is beautiful in talking about length of creating stretch because that's exactly what we're doing is we're we're lengthening our, our tendons and muscles by taking these these launch moves but they they themselves don't snap now it's going to take me sending a message to my body to assist that, to redirect that without any of the extra back. So what you're, the good part of this analogy is if you pull the rubber band slightly back, then when you wanted to shoot it, you pulled it back again. That's, that's inefficient. You want to come to that full position where you've created the maximum stretch.
0: And that's the beauty, I think, of the, the openness and that perspective of just being willing. I mean, we're conversating. I was looking in my lens of kind of going this way and just by me kind of saying that you were you took it and we were able to connect and make a full circle of analogies and just being able to kind of look at different things and say like you know wording the the verbiage of what we use Uh, i've told all my guys i don't care if, if i say a word and it doesn't click if it that if that word doesn't make sense to you tell me and I'll use a different word. The English language has so many damn words for this exactly. that have the same exactly. meaning. I'll find another word in the dictionary to use. As long as oh. it makes sense to you and we can work around it, the verbiage doesn't matter. It, it's the importance of the meaning and what we are right. teaching. That's the most important about, uh, part about it.
1: And w- what I did was I nerded it out, right? Just to kind of just common speak it. I nerded out what you were talking about. Um... What you were talking about actually would arrive at the same conclusion as what I was, how I explained it, right? Your stretch of the rubber band, your hitter would understand that stretch. Now, they, they, whether they know it or not, they're reacting and redirecting. If they thought that they were uncoiling and springing terrific, right? It didn't matter. So what you were saying was just as correct as what I was saying. I just nerded it out a little more and said, okay, well, here's the full explanation of that. This is how the rubber band actually worked. But it didn't matter because we would have both gotten to the same result.
0: And and that's what I think the and the job of a hitting instructor is. I mean, I have a TV right here that has repso that when my guys hit it, it displays RepSoto. I got another one that displays blast motion. Hopefully, we can get an X Factor TV up here uh, as soon as possible. But I mean, like I have all this stuff. I have everything. I'm certified in multiple different things. I have the knowledge in my head. It, it's not my job to, as you say, nerd out to every single person. That's not why, you know, Timmy, that's a 14-year-old, and his mom is, is bringing their kid to a lesson with me so I can explain what launch angle, you know, uh, time to con, whatever. My job is to uh, make it digestible, consumable for them right. so that way we can end at, like you said, the same, you know, destination point. It doesn't matter how exactly. you get there as long as exactly. we can get there. That's the whole
1: goal yeah. that's like That's like saying, um, well, one analogy is better than another analogy. Well, they're just analogies, they're not actualities. And so we're just using things to convey an idea that might create a visual image or might be more digestible to the, to the person in front of us. So, yeah. And, and I know you found that some guys respond very well to dialogue. Others have to feel. Others have to see. And so we have very different learners in front of us all the time, and so there's always a very different technique that's at play. And 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 I know a bad instructor when I see one, sadly, is because every lesson that they're doing next to me is a carbon copy of the one they did before, and I'm thinking, how could you possibly use the same approach on everybody and expect everyone to respond to it? Everybody is very, very different and which which goes into some stuff that maybe we can talk a different time so we don't like spend 40 hours here but um uh brain wirings are very unique Um, there are 16 different types of brain wirings and some brain wirings are more uh conditioned to or 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 require visual learning tactile learning uh they they respond more to oral explanations some brain types are gross motor oriented, using big muscles very, very well, but using fine muscles very poorly. Some are very fine muscle oriented, and some are a balance of the two. Um, To suggest that we should replicate Ted Williams's swings and do what Ted Williams does is virtually impossible for someone who doesn't share his brain type, because that would be the equivalent of saying, if I taught you how to paint, you would be Rembrandt. If I taught you how to play piano, you would be Mozart. I don't care how much work you put into it, you aren't going to be Mozart and you aren't going to be Rembrandt. You might be an artist, but you won't be that artist. Um, you won't. You might not be even be as as close to as good because you don't possess the same fine motor skills as an artist, a true artist. And so you can't replicate swings and say, "Well, do what this guy does," because well, I, this the hitter in front of me may be wired very, very differently. I brain type most of my hitters, the guys that I work with. Um, but uh, most people don't think about those kind of things. And this is, again, you know, what, what helps to be kind of nerdy on my end is that I, I do so much research, it's frightening. Um, and, and I'm really good at kind of tying things together that may be seemingly not connected, but they actually are. You know? So I can, I can look at analogies of different practices and say, but we're doing this similar thing, even though it's a totally different sport or it's a totally different, you know, whatever.
0: I love it. Uh, I I feel as if uh, we're very similar. I'm looking at my kind of tools I've got over here that I use to help my guys kind of feel stuff out. Dude, I've got like a cricket bat in here i got a golf training tool in here i've got t-ball bats i've got a bat with a, a like a numchuck as a rope in the middle in between huh? just, you, you just got to try out different stuff what, what works for one person may not work for another i like right. to just throw shit on the wall see what sticks for each individual and uh you know we go from there uh but i to finish up here, like you said, don't want to go 40 hours, but I would absolutely a thousand percent love to have you on as many times as possible.
1: And you can edit. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not imposing a time limit. I'm I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) So you can edit. So if you wanted to go, go. Um, uh, I,
0: I was going to say, I absolutely love, uh, I mean this, these conversations, they're incredible. Um, my goal for what we're doing here is, uh, a little bit, interview type i guess i I want people to kind of see different perspectives uh, of different facilities uh one thing that we're seeing a lot is with the failure aspect you have to be able to understand and embrace failure and going in i've worked with, talked to I i don't know
1: i don't know if i'd embrace failure as much as i just accept it and and become indifferent to it that's the thing the key isn't actually embracing and saying I enjoy failure the key is to be completely indifferent indifferent means unaffected Um, I swing and miss I don't okay I'll, I'll give you an example a shark is really fantastic at indifference because what a shark does is it goes after its target and if it takes a bite and misses it doesn't contemplate the miss it just says my objective is to eat that fish so he swims back around and comes back and takes another bite at it and whether or not he gets it or not has everything to do with whether he comes back after it. But at no point does the shark contemplate their failure. They just simply say, this is the objective. Let me go back after my objective. Every swing and miss means another opportunity to hit the ball. Then fine, bring another pitch. I'm going to hit it. If, I'm, if I get out, then I say, great, I got another at-bat coming to hit the ball. A lot of times what we do is we get out and then we say, oh, great, this is another opportunity for me to get out. And that's where we go wrong with that. So I don't say, I I wouldn't say I would ever recommend embracing failure, but becoming indifferent to it. That the goal is, is to, it feels so good to succeed that succeeding feels better than the feeling I have of not failing. Because too many hitters go into the box with the objective of, and I know you've seen this, they'll beat themselves up when they make mistakes, they crush the ball, And there's no reaction at all. Because they think, well, yeah, but there's a failure waiting right around the corner. And I would tell any hitter in my cage that was demonstrative when they failed, the first thing I would tell them when they succeeded and didn't do anything, I said, then you better bring confetti. Because every time you hit the ball well, I want you to react as ridiculously as you did when you failed. Uh, You're beating yourself up when you failed, but you don't reward yourself when you succeed. That's ridiculous. You're either happy when you succeed and indifferent when you fail, or you're indifferent to both. You just say, "That's my job. I hit."
0: I, I think maybe "embrace" was uh, an incorrect. Word. I think maybe I should have said "understand." Uh, right. For- yeah,
1: that wasn't correct. I was just giving you sort of a perspective of 100. Of- that's yeah. what you
0: have to have. You have, to have that perspective. But just for the the understanding of failure that. Because there's a lot of instructors that I've seen and I'm sure you've seen that go through and it's almost like happy-go-lucky Swings where everything is just almost served on a silver platter. The kids do nothing wrong. Everything is just you know uh, a perfect world where you have to introduce at some point a challenge. You have to induce at some point where someone goes, oh wow, like I do need to get better. And for that to happen, you have to understand why you're failing and stuff. And the goal of what these has been to just for people to see how similar that is, but how different people get to it. I had on uh, Robert Regans, who's a gentleman, uh, Lackawanna County Community College. Uh, he uh, has put out papers about people using uh, earplugs and people using eye patches uh, just to change sensories and stuff like that. And he's gotten PRs out, out of guys and stuff, and he's written papers. But he he's how he gets to what I'm trying to get to, how he gets to what you're trying to get to, the end goal of a student being good, being uh, being able to compete and understand. We get to the same spot by different ways. And that's been my, my goal of what this is, uh, is an interview style. I have another uh, kind of version of this podcast I would really like to do is where we just kind of talk hitting. Uh, just kind of talk a little bit more in depth of that. So I would absolutely love to have you on again, whenever you're able to come on, uh, again for that, uh, for me, the interview, uh, portion of it, I feel pretty good. The one last question I would have, if there are any, uh, people on Twitter that you would suggest uh, that you think are good follows, any podcasts, books, movies, videos, uh, anything that you, uh, I've that you think is a good uh, option for people, and then if you have anything that you would like to plug uh, for your business, any partners, uh, any closing remarks, uh, would love to have it.
1: Okay. Um, as far as plugs and things like that, you know, again, I've, I've kind of shut down the business aspect of this and just focused more on just developing my products and and I'm going to be using them myself. And then eventually I'll get into the step where I'm going, okay, now it's time to re-promote this and try to get, you know, investors and things like that. So um that is sort of withstanding um but I, you know a guy i really really like a lot um he, he's a really positive guy he's a terrific motivator um a great mentor is a guy named walter Beatty. i don't know if you follow him or not um he's a terrific sort of pre-college uh, um mentor who tells you what it takes to get to the collegiate level um discusses options on you know Juco through D1 and things like that. Um, a really positive guy, a really good influencer. That's 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 somebody who I would probably recommend. Um, other than that, you know, there there are lots of guys that I think are great, but you know, I, I think as far as you know, just the the being helpful to the youth players out there, I think that's a, that's a guy I would endorse for that. Um, what was another good question? So I got two of them out of the way. One of them, I'm not plugging myself. The other is, <laughs> I recommend, you
0: know, just Walter pod-
1: He's a great guy.
0: Just any podcasts, Twitter accounts, uh, videos, you know, books, anything that you think uh, works well.
1: I I am, you know, 25 years in this sport of, of working full time. Um, and I don't know, you You won't find a lot of guys that do that because I, I work full time. Um, that this is my job for 25 years. Um, I don't do a lot of like, I don't watch a lot of baseball on television. I don't watch, you know, I, you, you give me tickets to games. I'd have an unbelievable tickets and I give them to other people because I, I'm in it so much that I can't do anything but analyze baseball when I watch it anyway. So I don't get the joy that I used to. Um, I don't watch a lot of video because I find it fairly frustrating. A lot of like most of what you see out there is a fairly myopic perspective of things. I don't, I haven't, I haven't run across that, that wow in baseball, I find that wow, outside of baseball all the time. And so um, most of the reading I do is on brain function on, you know, what our memory and things like that. Um, uh, I I read tons and tons and tons, I used to read about eight academic studies a day, um, just on on how we respond to video, um, whether it is transferable to to ecological real world movements. virtual reality all of these things that's the kind of stuff that I look at and so anything that I would read that I would recommend is you guys would just go no thank you <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I, I appreciate you coming on Ken thank you so much and like I said yep, I'm really looking forward to having you on again and being able to get a little bit more in depth on uh, the hitting uh, aspect of everything like that as well
1: yeah and, and it was great because you know you don't talk that much on Twitter you don't you don't you don't put that much out there so I I, I didn't have any any ideas of who you were? You seem like a nice guy, but I didn't know who you were or, or what to expect personality-wise. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, I am I, I am pretty active on Twitter, and I think a lot of people have a particular idea of who I am and who I actually am, and what I pre- appear as in flat text are two very different people. And and I always like to uh, to have an opportunity to to speak live, and and people go, Wow, I didn't know you were a nice guy. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm I'm excited. Look forward when you're out here in Denver, we'll catch up. Yeah, uh, a thousand percent. We're going to have you on as soon as we can again.
1: Absolutely, it was great fun. Thank you for having me on.
0: Awesome, sir. We're going to close out of the live stream.